Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 is where we're going to pick up. We, uh, we got into some pretty neat discussion through uh, Genesis 1 and uh, through the first six verses of Genesis 2, uh, where we can see the uh, historical account of creation. And now moving into chapter 2, uh, we're getting into a little bit more of uh, mankind. Well, uh, you know, we're, we, we briefly touched on it, but now we're going to start diving into mankind being formed and uh, the Garden of Eden. And uh, there are a lot of things here for us. So uh, we'll move uh, as uh, smoothly as possible, but we don't want to jump over anything that we should spend some time on. So Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We could spend a whole service on that verse. Uh, and uh, we, uh, as we cover everything, we'll, uh, we'll be, uh, Lord willing, finishing the whole chapter. But there's a lot there just to meditate on. Uh, there's a lot there that we can we can really look at and and just just focus on in and of itself just in in, in verse seven, but uh, I, I guess what we'll look at here is this is in the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So uh, dust we're made of the same seventeen elements as everything else. That's uh, where mankind came from. So uh, I wanted to share a verse with you. Genesis chapter 18, verse 27 says, And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, uh, which I am but dust and ashes. You know, so a Abraham just speaking to the Lord, like I, I am, I am nothing but dust and ashes. That's that's you know my my being. So as we as we look at that verse. Uh, the beginning of that verse is, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground uh, and breathed, uh, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Uh, that, that second part, uh, I guess part B of, of verse 7, that the Lord breathed into his nostrils, the Hebrew word for it uh, would be, um, I was listening to Joe Foch, and he said, uh, breath of lives, where it's plural. So that that was a neat thing to uh, to to listen to that that plural into man a plural the breath of lives you know out of out of Adam and Eve came everybody but you know it all started with Adam so that was, I was blessed by that uh, two verses to share with you uh, Job chapter twenty seven verses uh, three and four says as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils my lips will not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. Job 33, verse 4, uh, the Spirit of God uh, has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. That uh, the, the breath within our lungs is a gift from God. You know, if you think of breathing, breathing's an involuntary thing. We just, we just do it. We don't have to think about it. Uh, you know, we, we, it's, it's one of those things that we can very easily take for granted, right? <laughs> if you've ever not been able to breathe, <laughs> you're very thankful for it once you can, right? I, uh, you know, it could have been uh, anything where you're underwater too long or, uh, you know, you get the wind knocked out of you. I remember playing backyard football, getting either thrown to the ground or hit or whatever, and you, you can't breathe. That is the worst feeling, you know, where you, and, and you can't get that breath in, you know. But when, when the Lord breathed into Adam, 
life came. And we're, this, this, this whole study is going to be about that. So we're just going to take each verse as we go. So, so he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And I like, like I said, the Hebrews, the breath of lives. And uh, so man became a living being. So uh, there's quite a statement here. Man became, not man evolved. Man became. So God made man, breathed into his life, and man became a living being. So Adam, once he was, once the Lord breathed into him, he was, uh, he, he was, uh, had a conscience, you know, fully uh, operational, he's intelligent. Um, and uh, as soon as he received the breath of lives. So as we discussed last week, mankind was made differently than the rest of creation. And uh, so we, we were made different. We were made in God's image. And God breathed his own breath into Adam to give him life. And just that's another, like I said, there's a lot that we can meditate on just in verse 7 uh, by itself. But that God would, would breathe, and we're going to get into that a little bit more here, but that God would breathe into mankind and life comes from it. So uh, this one passage uh, contains uh, three significant facts about man's creation. I found this and wanted to share it with you. The first is that God and God alone created man. We didn't evolve because of an accidental, uh, phys of, as accidental physics or chemistry, you know, cells, DNA, uh, molecules, etc. Those things coming together, that wasn't an accident. We've talked about that in the last two weeks. Uh, the Lord created the substances and then he used those substances to create man. So uh, the the Hebrew word is uh, I hope I'm saying it right yatsar, uh, and it means to mold, shape, and form like a potter. Uh, and uh, you know God formed man with His knowledge and power. And if you think of a potter, and you you you, you think of the uh, the thing thing spinning, I don't know what it is, but what's that? Wheel. Okay, there you go. Okay, the wheel spinning. <laughs> Very simple. It's too simple, right? So the wheel is spinning. Thank you. The wheel is spinning, and that that potter has the opportunity at that point to mold and shape that. And uh, that that same Hebrew word, uh, the Hebrew word, uh, implies the same thing: is that the Lord, in His power and intelligence, and uh, in, in, uh, was able to just uh, to just make man uh, out of the dust of the earth. And so that's a blessing. So that was the first thing: is that God and God alone created man. The second thing. God breathed his own breath of life into man. So uh, man is more than just dust or physical substance. Man is spirit. God formed Adam uh, and he laid there lifeless until God breathed in him. And then it says, uh, then the Lord, uh, then God leaned over and breathed his own uh, breath of life into the man's nostrils. God is a source of life. And he directly placed life within man. I had to share that. That's uh, that's that's powerful. I'm gonna I'm gonna read that last one again. Then God leaned over and breathed His own breath of life into the nos into man's nostrils. God is the source of life, and He directly placed life within man. The the third thing Genesis chapter uh, two verse seven uh, tells us is that man became a living soul. He wasn't a living being until God uh, breathed uh, life into him. The word soul here, uh, another word, uh, nepesh, uh, meaning animated, breathing, and conscious, a living being. Man didn't become a living soul until God breathed into him. So the, it's just a blessing to, to look at this verse and to understand there's so much. This is all just, we're still in verse 7. 
uh, you know, we're, we're still studying one, one verse here. And uh, as, uh, as we consider these things, just understanding those, those, those three things, uh, I think will help us uh, in our understanding of what's being said. If you remember in Ezekiel uh, chapter 37, there is a, uh, Ezekiel is, is shown, um, uh, brought to a valley, and, and a valley full of, of dry bones. And uh, if you're familiar with it, you'll, you'll understand what's, what's being said here. Uh, verse, uh, verses 3 through 10, I'm going to read to you. And he, God, said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause uh, breath. I, I will cause uh, breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will put sinews, uh, tissue that unites muscle and bone, on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover you uh, with skin, and put uh, put breath into you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse seven says. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied and he commanded me and breathed and breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. I just have a note here where God breaths life be where God breathes life begins. So that was that was a prophecy, but just just to understand uh, that even from the driest most helpless place God can breathe life into it and uh, renew and rejuvenate in our souls, you know, that, that was a, a prophecy about something separate, but just understanding that our souls being dry and, and, and as though they are dead, you know, the Lord, it's not beyond what the Lord can do to breathe life into us and to restore us and renew us. So just, I wanted to share that. That's a, a uh, just a powerful uh, passage of scripture there in and of itself um, uh, to study and everything. But um, moving on, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree to grow that was pleasant uh, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first, and forgive the pronunciation, is uh, Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold that is in the land is good. Bedellum and the onyx stone are there. This, the name of the second uh, river is Gihon. It is uh, the one which goes around the land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one that goes 
uh, toward the east of Assyria, the fourth river is the Euphrates. So uh, going back to verse 8, uh, the Garden of Eden, and it says uh, e eastward, the, the garden itself was, uh, so the Lord, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So uh, the, the garden itself was eastward in Eden. So Eden was a real physical place. Um, there, uh, people that uh, maybe have, uh, have have doubted the scriptures say that this is all like a um, uh, a a um, like a fantasy world, like a, like a Dungeons and Dragons type thing, uh, and have that that type of spin on it. Eden was an actual real place. When we're looking at these rivers that are being uh, being explained here, we understand that those those are places or were places uh, that uh, were being referenced. So Eden was a real physical place, and this is speaking of a garden uh, within Eden. So this is a pre-fall and pre-flood. Uh, the location is known, but we know that and uh, and uh, and there's been uh, there have been massive uh, you know, attempts to try to, to locate the Garden of Eden, um, but all all people have to do is look at Second Peter uh, verses three uh, verse three sorry Second Peter three verse six. This is whereby the world what uh, that whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That that old world perished. So, so trying to put all these things together, uh, you know, okay, we got we got these these places here. We put the oh, hey, uh, the Garden of Eden's right there. That old that old world after being you know, perished, as we read in Peter. So, trying to nail down and pinpoint where the Garden of Eden was, uh, good luck. You know, so uh, it's it just uh, it's that world has perished. So many have tried to map it out, uh, but that's pre-flood. That world has perished. So he put man. It says here that he that he put the man in the garden. So uh, gorgeous, no doubt. You know, God God had just uh, just made everything, and and he puts uh, he puts Adam right in the garden. And uh, trees. It says trees pleasant to the sight and good for food. And we know without a doubt there's amazing fruit there. Um, there's no trash around, you know, you know, there are times where, um, I, there was an article written about, about Maine here, uh, and it got a little bit of, uh, I guess it was somebody, uh, that came out of a, a large city that came and, and visited here and they were, they were disgusted and saying that, you know, oh, it's, it's not as clean and it's not as beautiful. And the people smelled like beer or something. I was like, what? you know, and it offended a lot of people. Everybody's like, well, don't come back, please. You know, it was that mindset, but the, the the beauty the Maine is is a it's a it's a tourist state because it's beautiful we can we can look around here I mean we're in down east Maine and uh, you go right down on uh, MDI and just you're the what's that it's Eden it's Eden he says it's it's absolutely gorgeous but there's no trash I mean he's in this this pleasant place and he's got. Uh, uh, the the trees that are pleasant to his sight and and good for food food and um, you know I I remember as as I've been studying this I remembered when we were stationed in Italy and uh, some friends of ours said hey we're gonna go to Austria do you guys want to go and uh, Jen's passport had finally come in at that point she missed out on a missions trip with our church uh, by one day one mail day uh, and uh, it was, didn't it come in Saturday the day I was leaving or something she's like hey passport came in and that was back there like we the phones were like text messages and and on um, prepaid stuff and you know way back in the early 2000s so um 
but I remember talking to her and I think it was one or two mail days that we missed, missed out on her going. But when we went on this, this trip to Austria, uh, I, I didn't know a whole lot of history. I just, I looked at the, the beautiful, the, the green, I, I'd never seen a green so green. You, you remember Edna. Um, and uh, these mountains, and I'm watching the cows and I'm going, how are they standing on these? I mean, these, they're like, cliff mountains you know and the cows are just doing their thing and i they must have developed their muscles right and or they they're, they developed like this i don't know so yeah yeah oh yeah exactly yeah yeah and uh, i just remember how gorgeous it was but we uh when we got into salzburg austria um, uh, I think it's Beethoven's uh, hometown, and the, yeah. So uh, we get to the bed and breakfast. We're staying there, and the next day, uh, our friends say, "Hey, we're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to a place that was in uh, the movie The Sound of Music," and and I'm like, I had no idea. I was like 19, 20 years old, and too immature to really care, you know. <laughs> and uh, we go, and it's the flower garden that's in the movie where the two people, I guess, two people kissed in the movie, and it's right there in the vibe. See, I still haven't seen it, uh, so <laughs> I've actually been there, and I don't care enough to see it. But so uh, I just remember how gorgeous it was, and I and I appreciated it, you know. But just just seeing that more go more gorgeous than any arrangement that man could ever have uh, is that it, how how I look I I would consider um, the Garden of Eden to be. You know, God doesn't make anything be like yeah, it's all right. You know, but if you just drive twenty miles down the road, you're going to see something way cooler. That's not the, not the case. So. Um, so as we're reading, it describes a tree of life. There's not a lot said of it, but we know that it had the power to sustain life. Genesis chapter three, verse 22 says, uh, then the Lord God said, behold, the man, uh, the man has become like one of us. So we're looking into the next chapter here, uh, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You know, and then he, he sets an, an angel there to to protect it with a sword and, and everything. So uh, we know that 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 tree uh, did have uh, power to it, and uh, God still has a tree of life available uh, to believers uh, in Him to God's children. Revelation chapter two verse seven says, "He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life." excuse me, tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 22 verses one and two says, and he uh, showed me a pure river of water of life, uh, water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the lamb. In the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So that's not the last we hear of the tree of life. Uh, in Genesis 2 and 3, uh, but uh, knowing a tree of life is referenced in uh, Revelation also. So it's just a, it's great to see. So also uh, what's, what's introduced is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, we're progressing into 
chapter 3. So uh, there isn't a lot of what happens at these places yet uh, in our discussion. I'm trying to try, you guys know my ability to fast forward in my mind and I'm staying focused and uh, and keeping us where we're at here so I don't get too excited and spoil the news, right? Not that... Not that I don't want you to read chapter three when we leave here, um, but uh, the the, tri- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So eating eating from it would provide uh, the knowledge of good and evil. So uh, just a note here: you know, partaking in the sin of disobedience regarding God's command of the fruit of that tree results in the understanding of good and evil. The eyes are now open to what sin is and what disobedience is. And uh, so as we as we progress through, we understand uh, that that uh, once somebody partook of that, they would now understand what good and evil uh, were. So the, like as I said before, these aren't mystical tales. that this is a real garden. It's a real man with real trees and real fruit. Uh, if you just look back a little bit, uh, into verse uh, the verses uh, that we just read, uh, it even it talks about r- riverheads that were there. So you know, phys- physical places that can be referenced. So it shows it was a physical place, just like everything else. Um, there are prophecies in the scripture that sometimes are symbolic. We we looked at you know Ezekiel, um, but but Eden itself was a real uh, a physical place. So uh, just understanding this wasn't just a um, like a prophecy or uh, you know any any scoffer will say, oh great, okay, so now. Now we've got this here. We, okay, now you got a snake that can. That's I, I've heard many scoffers say. Oh, you know, oh, uh, it's a snake there or, or a serpent that can talk and, and those things. So, um, uh, the, the, this was a real place, and this is a true account of, of man's history. Just understand um, uh, when we read this as believers, we we uh, read it and believe it. Genesis two chapter ver- uh, chapter two verse fifteen. Then the Lord God took the man. And put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So Adam was put in the garden to tend and keep it. And God has designed mankind to be workers and to be responsible for things. Uh, as we're growing up and we're you know young, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old, none of us like to have any job around the house. You know, and as you get older, those responsibilities get to be uh, more, right? I remember, I think I've told you, remember I couldn't wait to mow the lawn as a kid. And my lawn was not any, the backyard was great. But the, the front lawn, yard was a pretty steep slope and my mom obviously didn't want me getting maimed. So she didn't want me mowing the lawn. So I had to wait till I got to that point. But I, I had a drive to do it. Um, I, my my I, my other daughters have also loved riding the riding lawnmower and everything. But my, my youngest, like I... Uh, she even recently she's like I'll push I'll push the the push mower and I was out doing stuff and she you know we we're just we're we're designed to to work we're designed to do things and and uh, God put him in there to to tend uh, so uh, I I was just as I was kind of meditating on that I'm like what a perfect workplace <laughs> you know what I mean he's got the best boss and uh, you know it's the perfect temperature. Um, I was talking to uh, two people I work with today, and we went outside walking. And we we're like, "It's it's the in the twenties in September," and you know, I, I was I was just in a, an Apollo shirt and and uh, just so comfortable. And we we know that that can turn 
on a dime here, uh, but it, it's nice. We we enjoy it when it's when it's nice. And and uh, think of you know what Adam was experiencing the the perfect temperatures, the perfect everything in front of him. Everything's beautiful. There's food all around. You're eating on the job. He wanted something. He could you know he wanted an apple or an orange. He could or you know you know whatever fruit he wanted. He could just you know grab it and freely eat of every tree. Uh, and uh, talk about perfect freshness, you know, when, uh, I don't know about you guys, when you go into the, the, the supermarket, you know, Shaw's or wherever, uh, you're, you're trying to find your apples. Um, I, I remember talking with somebody, I used to work with a, a lady who worked in an apple orchard and it drove them nuts to see people come up and they would take the apple and they, they make, you know, push your thumb in to make sure it snaps. You know, if, you, if you've ever done that, don't start doing it because they don't appreciate it much. Because what it does is it creates a bruise on the, on the apple. You know, just to know if it's if it's if it's good and and, and crispy. Uh, not that I've ever done it, but um, you know, you have that that apple or whatever whatever they wanted to eat was perfect. And, and, and I say they, but at this point, it's just Adam. Whatever he wanted to eat was was perfect. He could eat freely of it. And uh, so he, he always has the access to it. And uh, uh, so just imagine the, the beautiful view and, and what he had to, uh, what he was experiencing. And uh, he could have whatever he wanted, always, uh, you know, a, a garden fresh experience for him. You know, we all want, uh, you know, fresh uh, fruit, vegetables, whatever it is. And he can eat freely from every tree with the exception of one. Every single tree, the whole garden. Uh, he's, you can eat of all of them, but, but this one. And uh, it, this this might uh, cause uh, questions in uh, somebody some in an unbeliever's heart, and even in a believer's heart. You know, especially a new believer. I think. Well, well, why would God put something there that would that they could possibly stumble on? And uh, for anybody who's been studying the Scripture, we need to have uh, a few, we need to have the choice, the freedom to obey God or not. And it's it's amazing because I've actually heard and I've, I've actually it turned into a pretty great discussion. A family member, they said, well, of course, yeah, they had to ruin it for everybody and go eat. And I'm like, you and I would have done the same thing. It's in our sinful nature to do the same thing. The simplicity of don't eat from that tree. What does that mean? How many, okay, if you've ever been around kids, don't do this, right? And what's the first thing you want to do? That, Right. Yeah, we were just at a soccer game this afternoon, and uh, I had to obviously leave a little bit early to get here, but my dog seeing another puppy, my little puppy, and trying to rip him back. He's only, what, maybe 35 pounds, 35, 40 pounds? Yeah, he's a, uh, just a chocolate lab, and you would have, I would have thought I was trying to hold back a grizzly bear, you know, because he wanted to get to, and I'm telling him, no, you can't go. I, I mean, I don't care if he plays with other dogs. They didn't seem to have the interest in it, but that, that drive of, you know, spiritually, we can have that, you know, just getting as low as we can and pulling and, uh, to get to what we want. It's, it's, it's man's sinful nature, just having the choice. We were given uh, the choice to obey. You know, something as simple um, as a certain fruit uh, in our in our sinful nature uh, would drive us there, and uh, it seems so innocent. You know, you know, why not? Why why couldn't I eat just? It's just a it's just a a, a fruit from that tree. Why can't I? Because God said no. You know, and uh, you know that uh, it's it's the very simple command that the Lord gave, and God gave the command uh, that that tree um, uh, must not be eaten from. Uh, and he he goes on to say. Uh, 
For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God knew that as soon as uh, the disobedience of sin occurred, man would experience. Um, uh, it, so we start seeing man is now going to experience a physical. He didn't experience a physical death then, but now we can face death. And there's more on that in chapter. chapter. Like I said, I'm going to try to keep keep where we're at instead of moving forward uh, into chapter three as much as I, I want to keep going there. Uh, my mind keeps wanting to drag me there. But, you know, God said to Adam uh, uh, that had not experienced any uh, human death of any kind because God understood what that death meant. God's trying to warn you, don't do this. You've got everything else around you. Don't do that. Don't do it. Because once you do, uh, you shall surely die. And uh, there's there's a lot there's I, I you guys don't know how hard it is right now because I just want to dive right into this right now, but we're gonna stay right right where we're at and we'll move into that. It gives us an, an incentive to come back next week, uh, and uh, maybe the next week after that. Um, we'll, we'll see. So, uh, Genesis chapter two verse eighteen. And the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him." Out of the ground, of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called, be called woman uh, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's a lot that we're, that we're going to tackle right here. But God looked at man and saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So God stated this, and uh, man didn't look around and start complaining to God. God understood man's need before man did. There's a lesson in and of itself right there. God said, I will make a helper comparable to him. He knows our needs. And he was—he already had a plan. So, for any of us that are in here married, um, wives are incredibly valuable. I'm not just up here trying to get points because my wife's there, <laughs> but they are, um, and uh, uh, their husband's uh, perfectly suitable helper. And uh, you know, God designed our marriage, and we must not uh, redefine it. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we progress through the verses that we just did. But in verse 19, verses 19 through 20, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast, and, and then he, he brought uh, them to Adam to see what he would call them. Like if you've ever read over that and and, and thought, oh, da, 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 go back. God was having an awesome you know, father-child relationship moment with, with Adam. And he's giving him, like, all right, let, let's see what a, a giraffe. You know, <laughs> giraffe, and the next thing that comes up, elephant. You know, or you know, uh, you know, all of these things as they're coming up, and whatever Adam called them, that was their name. So what we know about Adam is he's incredibly intelligent immediately. 
You know, Adam didn't have to go to kindergarten and teach himself out of the non-textbooks or anything. You know, he he had the ability uh, to to function and to operate. And so the Lord is including Adam in an important thing here is whatever Adam calls them is, is what he is, is, is. It's its name. And at the end of verse 19. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not uh, found a comparable, uh, a, a comparable. A helper comparable to him, sorry. Uh, so uh, just a, a, a great thing to be able to look at. So God's creating these, these animals. He's bringing them to Adam, and he has the time, uh, to the, the opportunity to, to uh, just do something neat. He's, he's uh, as God's giving him the opportunity, he gets to, to name them. You know, they had to, they had to be interesting. You know, I've, I've always been blessed to spend time with my girls and um, my old job. I used to have to work um, uh, 12 day stretches every month. And uh, looking back, I realized those 12 days and then the next week, you know, I'm recovering. And then the next weekend I'm exhausted. So I, I look back and sometimes I'm like, man, I miss so much, you know, I miss so much, but I, 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 we had the opportunity to, to learn together and, and to watch how they react. And we were blessed. My wife um, uh, was, has uh, you know, raised our kids and, and, and homeschooled our kids all but a few few uh, years when Calvary Chapel in Orrington had the school. Our kids went there. But uh, after a few years uh, that, that closed and uh, she homeschooled the girls. And, and uh, we've always said that it was such a blessing to have those moments uh, and, and not miss some of those things. And, you know, there were some hard times. There were some phone calls of, what do we do? Cause homeschool, you know, this is those, I don't want to homeschool anymore or whatever, you know? And, and, uh, you know, that's just from us being around, but, but we were, we've been so blessed over the years and, um, God is having this moment uh, with Adam and, and just, just to see, uh, you know, what, as he's learning, as he's going. And for me uh, personally, just to see what the girls learned and, you know, from when they were little girls, you know, coming up with a painting or a drawing or a dad, I made you a thing. And I look at it like, this is awesome. I have no idea what it is, but this is, this is beautiful, right? Those, those moments. And, uh, you know, now uh, I, it's, it's roller coasters or there it's, uh, hey, dad, look at this. And, you know, the, the conversation changes, but I'm still so blessed. Um, uh, we went to uh, Six Flags here uh, recently. I can't spin. I can't do any anything that uh, the whole spin thing doesn't work for me. So the girl's like, dad, dad. And I'm like, nope, can't do that. Can't do that. And uh, thankfully, I'm going, ah, now I don't have to do that. But anyways, they um, – there's a big ride there, the Superman ride. And uh, if you've never been on it, you're doing like 70-something miles an hour. And you may think, oh, 70, 70 miles an hour when you're in a cart and you feel, you're feeling it separate from the track and come back down. It, yeah. By the end of it, you're, you're like, duh. You know, and uh, the girls, my, my oldest girls, uh, you know, we did it. And uh, um, I, at first I did it with, my, uh, with, with Maddie. And then Ashley kind of got the gumption going. Let's do it. And Natalie's like, so you know, Natalie didn't want to do it, but it was those moments. You know, we can have those special moments. This is a special moment that God has with Adam, and that He's He's just lining them up. And I just, I just, just if you if you've read over that, just kind of look back and, and look at it. That God gave Adam the chance uh, to to name. Verses uh, verses twenty one uh, through twenty five um, are, are talking about uh, woman being made and. Uh, so, so we're going to spend some time here 
so God made a wife for Adam out of his own body. That's the summary of what it is. He caused a deep sleep and took a rib out of Adam, and uh, Adam wakes up and, and sees her. And no doubt, I, I have no doubt in my mind, they were both physical specimens, you know, and, and, and he's able to look at his, his, his wife, and I'm sure he's pleased. He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Um, so uh, Eve is made from Adam, not from dust. So man, Adam, was made from dust, but God made Eve from Adam. So uh, both both made in the image of God, male and female. We, we read that in, in chapter 1. But it's incredible to, to look at that, that Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth, but God used Adam to make Eve. So just, just let your mind just get boggled by that. Uh, just, just a blessing to understand that. So... Important to understand this also, a wife made from his side to be at his side. That's uh, you know, the God, God made him a comparable helper. And uh, that's an important uh, lesson that uh, she's not to be in front of leading him. And she's not, she's not supposed to be under his feet or, or, or way behind him. We experienced that when we were um, uh, in Italy. We were always, uh, you know, uh, we always walked, you know, holding hands and stuff. And, and uh, we would see people from that you know for, were from uh, like asia or whatever and the wife is way back they're not they're not they're like no you're you're back there you don't deserve to walk with me uh and it was hard. it was always hard i don't want to walk up tell that guy tell that guy I'm, like, I'm not gonna change cultures here you know uh but it, i i remember it though and it hit me and uh you know god god made him a helper a help meet if you if you're looking at the uh at the king james version a help meet and uh, so uh, from his side to be at his side. So um, understanding uh, now that we, uh, as soon as those two were made, they're, they're, this is the first marriage. That we, I mean, they didn't, you know, hey, let's, let's invite our parents and your dad's paying for it, right? And we'll you know, get the invitations out. I mean, it's, it's already there, you know. So uh, the... Um, as we start looking into this, God established a wonderful order for a man and a woman to be together. And uh, God gave them an incredibly important responsibility, uh, this man, a responsibility of leading his wife uh, and his family. So uh, as we look into uh, now these, these two people, this is an appropriate time for us. We're not fast forwarding or anything. Now that we see man and woman and that they're now together, uh, it's uh, it's uh, some it's the time for us to uh, to start diving into this a little bit more. As husband and wife, we each have roles. You know, uh, I, I remember seeing, and I I won't I won't say what was on the bumper sticker, but it was not a not a nice bumper sticker about gender roles. And, uh, and I was okay. I'm like turning my 13 year olds, uh, completely innocent eyes away from that one. Matt and I had a, it was just, we were just kind of talking about what are our kids living in the world we're living in, uh, right before service. And, uh, I, there are some things that I'm going to you know protect our kids from, uh, as much as I can. And, uh, there are things that are just, we live in this world and they're going to hear things. And remember when, uh, you know, Jen and I are raising our kids and everything and everybody kind of learned when we came back, because when, when I left, uh, here and, uh, to meet her, she was stationed in Italy. And, uh, when I left here, I was still a partying 
teenager, 19 years, 18. Yeah, I, I left at 18. No, 19. Yeah, yeah, she knows. Um, so I left at 19, 20 years old and, and still in the world. I had an understanding of who the Lord was, but wasn't following him at all. And so uh, when I left here, Everybody's like, hey, didn't we just party with John? And 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 then I was supposed to come back. My um my plane ticket my plane tickets uh, had an end date, and I was just flying over to visit Jen over there. And I just we were supposed to get married December fifth, December third, or something of nineteen ninety nine. And I went over in October for my birthday, and I didn't want to leave. So I, I just don't want to go back. She's like, I don't want you to go back. So I'm like, well, there's going to be an extra seat on that plane. <laughs> so I stayed there. And then after when I stayed there, and I'm, I'm going to fast forward through the story because I know I've shared it with you, but um, I was I was still just you know living in my flesh and, and being stupid. And uh, but I I knew that I uh, you know, I I knew that God was calling me out of. Uh, my sinful life and and to to move in uh, it, into a relationship with him and I just kept pushing that aside and I, I told you guys uh, this so I'll fast forward through it but the day we got married um, we uh, we were uh, we had found an apartment there but we we hadn't moved it with it we moved in the day uh, that we got married and we drove by Aviana Baptist Church and I just the Lord spoke right to my heart and said are you going to be serious about about your relationship with me because now you're leading a uh, family. And that was, weren't the exact words, but there was one of those very powerful moments with the Lord. And I just said, every time that church's doors are open, that's where we're going. And so we were there. And the whole time we were there, we were just meeting uh, older, uh, older people in the faith, uh, you know, older brothers and sisters that are pouring their love and their, their lives into us and, and teaching us about what it means to be Christians that are married. And uh, so we grew in our faith, and uh, then we moved to Washington State. And uh, when, when she got orders to Washington, we went to, to Washington State, and um, we were plugged right into. We we had to find Calvary Chapel because I, everything that I knew came from visiting Calvary Chapel Bangor. And uh, so we got there, and we get settled in at, at Calvary Chapel Spokane Valley, and uh, we served there. Uh, I, I ended up serving um, in the youth pastor role after a short while, probably six months or so. Um, it was kind of uh, interning and stuff, and then you know took over there and did that. So when we came back, I was very much a different person than when we left. So I went, oh, oh, okay, guys, no swearing around the kids. So we had we had, of course, Maddie's six months old. You know, our oldest is six months old, but the, everybody knew that our lives had changed. So when we're going to you know, uh, family events, uh, when we're going to whatever it is, you know, it's, uh, it didn't take long. We just said, Hey guys, we just appreciate if our kids don't hear that. But over time, they just, whatever, you know, I, I heard, I heard uncle, you know, I won't say his name. Sorry. I heard uncle, uncle, whatever say this, and, da, 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 and you know, it just grew where now it's like, and my kids just know, they know, okay, yes, this stuff exists. No, we're not supposed to be a part of it. But I, I, as a married couple, we learned about uh, what is a godly marriage. And uh, when we start looking at some of these things, when you look at the word submit <laughs> in this culture, uh, it can be greatly uh, frowned upon or it can be uh, greatly um, uh, it can be a, a great uh, point of contention. So we're going to look at these verses and then we're going to dive into a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. This is where the guys get all puffed up. Uh, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. So guys, if you were getting puffed up, right? You, know, you guys know verse 25 is coming, right? So husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So there's a beautiful thing. I'm going to go on to verse 33 of, of Ephesians 5 also. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife uh, as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's mutual. Guys, we are called to be husbands that a woman would want to follow, that a woman will trust, and that they would willingly, at that point, submit themselves to our leadership. If you look at, okay, so if we pause on, on the marriage thing, and if you look at an a, a employment scenario, are we always excited to serve under somebody else, to work under somebody else? Not so much. We all, I think we all can understand that, right? We've all had or been exposed to people that, wow, I'm glad I don't work for that person or I wish I didn't work for that person, right? The same in a family. A husband should should strive to be the person. Well, look at this. I mean, what, what a command. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Willing to die for our wives, now, I haven't had to lay down my physical life for her, and I would in a heartbeat. Just no question. Done. But I also have my flesh that needs to die so that I can love her and serve her as I need to. It, th these two things have to work together. These two verses can be so, so driven to a point of um, just verse 22 is preached. Or or just verse 25 is preached. Well, you've got to love me. And they are not in any way willing to submit to their leadership no matter what. Right? I remember a pastor sharing some experience that he had. And he's just talking about he has just seen some women that will browbeat their husband no matter what. They will just browbeat him. Or the husband that is just... Not anybody that would want to be want to be uh, that somebody would want to submit under their leadership. It's supposed to be uh, lovingly and under God's uh, God's rule. So we're supposed to be in submission to the Lord and uh, leading our family. Guys, uh, family could be at work. I don't care where it is. Be somebody that people want to be around and and uh, to follow. You know, we shouldn't be somebody who, yeah, I'm a Christian. And like, I never would have known it, <laughs> you know, because this person, they're just somebody that I can't stand or, you know, they, they seem to be up on a high horse or whatever. Not how it's supposed to be. I got a few more verses for you. Colossians 3 verses 18 and 19 said, wives, submit to your own husbands as it is, uh, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some of them do not obey the word, uh, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. 
that's quite a statement there uh, in in Peter. So there's a lot there that I'm going to try not to get uh, too long-winded about because uh, we, you know, we're just going to continue to move forward uh, as we go uh, here. But likewise, uh, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. We have, uh, I've been at this church for 20 years, and I've seen sometimes uh, the husband or the wife attends here uh, without the other. And it's, and it's, it's always so hard. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's such a burden uh, for one to be here and not the other and their just desire and, and being in a prayer, uh, prayer time and, and, and hearing uh, the, the cries, you know, literal cries of, I just wish they would, they would come to the Lord that we could, that we could grow together uh, in the Lord. And maybe uh, when they got married, they, neither of them were, Christ, were Christians or maybe they were, and one has, you know, forsaken the Lord and kind of walked off or whatever it is, seen the heartbreak. And I've seen those things there. Um, dragging them and 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 uh, forcing them into into being here hasn't hasn't worked and it's unfruitful and those things there's there's a recipe for it without a word that they may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear respect that fear first Peter 3 7 husbands likewise dwell with them the one, the wife uh, listen to this uh, with understanding giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered there are so many reminders in the scriptures for husbands to love their wives love your wife love your wife love your wife give her honor you know there's this has to be a a, a loving uh, commitment on both ends to love. God, God set it up. Mary, uh, now, now that we've s- set that there, understanding marriage is a is is designed to be a lifelong covenant. Unfortunately, d- divorce exists. It does. If any of us have experienced divorce, I, I have experienced and I've actually heard people say that they're no longer welcome to go into a church because they've been divorced. Literally heard it. I've heard, I've heard it and said that's silly. And I had no understanding of like the script. This was way, way, way back. No, I, I don't belong there. Whoa, where did the church go wrong? That someone would would uh, would have been told by church leadership, you're no longer you know, welcome to to ever you know, come into these doors. That's sad because that's going to drive somebody into a point of just they're going to browbeat themselves for the rest of their lives. And I've watched it happen. I don't deserve. I, I I can't be. Yeah, no. You know what? We don't deserve, and I don't deserve. But God loves us. You know what? Then go to a different church. You know, God hasn't forsaken you forever. You sinned. Then okay, go confess it and and be restored by the Lord and 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 walk in a relationship with Him. But unfortunately, divorce does uh, does exist. So the Lord designed marriage, and uh, Malachi chapter uh, two verse eighteen says, "For the Lord God of Israel says that He hates divorce." It's right there. I, I, I'm just going to leave it at that point right there. Just that's that's a part of the verse. But God hates divorce, uh, and and then it says, "For it covers one's garments with violence." So uh, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So there's obviously more to discuss in there. But looking at God's view of divorce, He hates divorce. It shreds families and it shreds lives, and um, there there's so much there now. 
understanding that God uh, God designed marriage, and uh, that that there you know there there are rightful cases of divorce. You know, if there's uh, adultery, there's abuse. So there there are those those circumstances that divorce is is right. Um, unfortunately, uh, mankind, especially here, even in America and within the church, unfortunately, that everybody looked, well, we just kind of, kind of drifted apart or, you know, I, I fell out of love with him or, or her. Now that really means that your heart wasn't set on loving them and serving them as it should. And your eye was drawn to whoever that was over there at work or whatever it was. Okay. All right. Be real. Come to the Lord and ask forgiveness, whatever it was, but the divorce rate in the secular world and in the church is the same. That shame, shame on the church is really what it is because because uh, marriage is supposed to be a lifelong covenant, right? Till death do us part, or till I no longer feel like it. You know, that's it's sad, but that's really where it's come to. Verse twenty four says, "Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife." Very important to understand. That uh, I know, my wife and I know that at some point when our daughters get married, our job of raising them and, and training them, not mentoring and loving and teaching and sharing parts of wisdom, but our full-time job of leading and, and building them up and teaching them uh, is, is now uh, they have a husband. Because I have three daughters. I don't say husband. or you know. So now they have a husband that's supposed to spiritually lead them. You know, we've we've led them, we brought them uh, to where they are, and eventually, uh, you know, we'll we'll give them away. And I, I don't even like to think of that. Uh, but now those two, you know, the, you know, a husband and a wife become their own entity. You know, the father and mother's job is 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 now complete. I still love and mentor, but the everyday raising is is done. And uh, you know, now they belong to each other uh, as one, uh, you know, physically, and that there would be there would grow a spiritual bond there. So where it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That means the father and mother no longer have control uh, of, uh, you know, you're not going to do that. Well, they're married. And now I, I actually worked with somebody that they're, they had to go get a restraining order from her, her parents uh, to tell them to stay away. And, and it was uh, legit. I mean, I'm asking all these questions. I'm hearing these stories and, and he's like wide open with it. And I'm hearing these things. I'm like, you guys realize you're, you're married and they're, and these aren't like kids. They're like mid-20s and uh, being treated like they're 15-year-olds. And I'm just like, man, biblically, you, you're married. You, you, know, you, you two are now one, and you make your own decisions and move forward. You don't need uh, their permission to, to you know, buy a car or move into a, a, a house or whatever the discussion was. You know, uh, we can still give godly counsel to someone who's been given away in marriage, but uh, whether they take it or not, it's up to them. So, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother uh, and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So, uh, now we move into a more uh, mature topic, uh, uh, sexual consummation of a marriage, and that's designed to be 100% within marriage only. Uh, and, uh, because our culture has that nailed down, we'll just move on. Right. Yeah. Right. So no, no. Uh, so it's a very special intimacy. Sexual intimacy is a very special int intimacy that was designed for a husband and wife only. That's, that's what it's designed for. 
every thing that you can see plastered on a TV on the the, um, the news shelf the the magazine shelves at the grocery store it's all over it's all over the place there's little suggestions of hey you can do this you can do that and uh, you can do it with whoever you want it's all over the place sexual promiscuity is everywhere it's it's sad this was a special gift from God uh, designed to be shared between a man and a woman after they're married, never to be committed outside of a marriage. And our bodies are, are, are designed and uh, are to be saved for the husband or wife. Now, especially in our culture, uh, many grew up. That wasn't the case. It was, hey, anything goes. I'm in college. I'm going to do what I want. I need the college experience, right? Baggage, 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 baggage. And, oh, man, you know, it's, it's not what it was designed for. And then we're dragging that, you know, somebody, somebody can be dragging that around. Oh, I did this. I did that. And, oh, you know, and it, it just, uh, it's, it's sad. It's not what it was designed for. Uh, so, uh, any sex outside of marriage is fornication or adultery. So, uh, uh, fornication is sex outside of marriage when neither person are married. Adultery is sex outside of marriage when one or both of the par- people are married to another person. So, uh, but that, the, that, that's, is what it is. So you're either married or you're not. And, uh, those are the, the, the two categories. Both are strictly, both, uh, adultery and fornication are strictly forbidden in the Bible. Uh, you don't have to look very far. It's all through it, uh, that, uh, that, uh, shouldn't be a part of our lives. Um, you know, our culture and the world as a whole is obsessed, obsessed with sex. Um, you know, I, I've heard it even said, um, and I'm going to try to speed up. We're at about five minutes, but um, I might be a couple minutes over, but I promise I won't keep it too, too long. So uh, I remember somebody, uh, I, I, we were both in our you know 20s and there was uh, some, I was just at work and a, a few of us talking and, and um, just the topic came up of, you know, um, I don't know, they, I, I, I'm going to butcher the story, but it was, I actually heard uh, them said, well, how do you really know if you're sexually compatible with them if, if, you, if you don't do it before you get married? Like, do you understand the risk? You might, you might hate life and those things. Okay, as believers, we're supposed to look at the scripture, and it, there, there isn't anything like that said. Nothing. That's a totally worldly view of, of sexual intimacy. Is how do I know? Okay, so they might be a little more likely to go down the other road of, well, now I'm married to you, and you know, I guess I'm going to go over here. So until death do us part, really was till death. I'm no longer sexually interested in you, and I'm more sexually interested with you know those people or that person or whatever it was. So um, the the what's what's being said is that it can be really had with anyone um, that they desire sex uh, can be it can be it, it's true it physically can be done but that doesn't mean that it's right it breaks God law and it, God's law and it perverts uh, perverts His gift to mankind and as we see now um, the sexual uh, promiscuity has permeated our culture but it's almost also permeated the church. And uh, that's that's something that, that should not be said of the church. Uh, I've, I've quoted it several times. Just look in 1 Corinthians 6. For any person that's professing to be a Christian and it states that fornicators and adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not a good place to be. If that's a part, forsake, confess it, forsake it, and move forward without that being a part of our lives. Um it's condemned all the way through the, through the scripture. So God is so faithful. Understand, understand this. 
But God is so faithful and loving to forgive and restore if we come to the point where we ask him and repent and turn from it. Okay, don't let that old baggage just continue to come back into our mind of, I, oh, you know what, it just, I'm, I'm, just don't let it come back. No, it's washed away. Christ has washed it from me. It's no longer going to rule and reign and, and, and make me feel guilty. And, and, just, and, and another, another thing that's important for us is uh, if someone, if someone, for any, any of us that are married in here, is Christ has washed that away. It should not be a topic any time later. If that, if that it, we, we shouldn't go back and come to a point where, well, I'm going to bring up this and I'm going to bring, no, if Christ has washed it away and it's gone, why are we bringing it up? Because every single one of us are sinners and we can go, we can get to the point of, well, well, you did this. And we, what is, how is that working together in a godly marriage? That's something that's going to, that's, that's a little a wedge that's going to come in. And as you know, wedges work. They get to a little point, they cause a split, and that split just continues to grow, and, th- and bigger problems are going to come. If we're walking in Christ, two people are living and walking in Christ, that old person, that old sin is gone. As far as the east is from the west, that, that sin is gone. Christ is washed away, it's gone. It, can't, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be brought back up. Now, speaking of sin, understanding um, the, the how far... Uh, the uh, when I say sin, sexual sin, how far uh, our culture has has been uh, diving headfirst into this is America's the leading uh, publisher of pornography, and uh, pornography in and of itself is sin. Taking part in, in uh, any of that is sin. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verses twenty-seven through thirty. You have heard that it was said in, to those of old. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you're right, I know this is how seriously we should take this. In. This is figurative, figurative. We're not supposed to be walking around gouging our eyes out, chopping our hands off. It's having a uh, such a serious mindset towards these things. Uh, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you uh, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Uh, and if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off and cast it from you, uh, for it is more profitable for you that uh, one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So the Lord is uh, having uh, making a very serious stance against the, the, the sin of the heart. So pornography in and of itself uh, perverts a beautiful thing that God had designed, you know, that they, that they shall become one flesh. Uh, it was designed for a husband and a wife. And uh, many of those that partake uh, in pornography are drug addicts, and they do it to make money. They're slaves. They're sex slaves. They're selling themselves to make money. They're drug addicts, and, and there's good money. I, I, I know people that uh, back when I was younger, uh, two you know, pretty young ladies, they're like, yeah, we're strippers. We're, we're making all kinds of money every night. And I'm like, you're literally selling yourself. You're selling no self-respect. You're making a whole lot of money, but you're you're losing your soul as you're doing it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul? That's just the beginning, you know. The the dance, okay. Those those things. Those are just the beginning. Many of those were victims of sexual abuse as children or even as adults. You know, attractive young women are being recruited, actively recruited. People go out and they're trying to find. 
you know, uh, they, they're adver- uh, not, uh, they're recruiting agencies trying to find people. Uh, the wicked men and women are trying to find them so that they can exploit them so that they can make money off them. That's what it is. It's awful, and it will ruin. Uh, it ruins the heart of of anybody who's who the heart and mind of anybody who's watching it, and takes over the thoughts and starts uh, perverting everything. It'll destroy a marriage, because then there's the wait. Am I not good enough? You know, I I and I don't mean to get too pointed with this, but when it says the two shall become one flesh, that's within the confines of marriage, and our culture is so far off that this is where we're at. We're having a discussion like this. Pornography in and of itself uh, you know, creates a depraved heart so much so that uh, children can become a target. Children. Remember listening to uh, James Dobson interview um, uh, serial killer, Jeffrey Dom- not Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, what's that? Nope. Bundy. Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. And there, it was the last interview. He, I think it was the last interview that he did before he was executed. And the um, the set, the the cassette uh, set of cassettes was called "Pornography Kills," and uh, it's Ted Bundy saying that his uh, very extremely perverted sexual desires came all from uh, him finding a uh, pornography magazine as a kid. And then he it just that 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 desire for uh, weirder things and weirder things, more painful things, and those things. It all started, and that's what he said. You know, some say they don't believe anything that that he had to say. I don't know, but I I do believe that. Look, look what's happened in our culture. Children's innocence is precious and should be protected at all costs. Uh, there are actual movements. Uh, speaking, uh, you know, Greg and I had this conversation recently. Actual movements in governments to legalize pedophilia, to approve marriages and sexual activity with ma- with minors, to decriminalize pedophilia. It's sickening. That was designed to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife exclusively. Ex- as soon as that. Uh, it, 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 Mankind moved away from that. Look at where we're at, the depravity we're in right now. I don't dare to let my kids walk in town. When we go to a, a store, I remember, you know how kids like to hide in the racks? My kid hiding in the rack, and boy, did she get a talking to. I know what you did was so precious. I, I get that, but you can never do that again. Never do that again. We didn't know where you were. What's the worst thing that pops into our mind, right? Oh, Ah, oh, the church needs to needs to repent. America needs to repent. Need to repent. We're dust. We're made of dust. God breathed into us, and uh, and made us. We are created by God. He makes the rules, and we're we're to follow them. And He's given us so many great things to enjoy, and they're supposed to be enjoyed how He tells us to. And 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 we're not supposed to be. Um, going outside those those confines, you know, the Lord knows that we're dust. I want to share a verse with you, and, and then we're going to wrap this up. As a fa- it's, uh, Psalm one hundred three, verses thirteen and fourteen says, "As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For the Lord, for He knows our frame; He remembers that we are dust. God knows we're dust. He knows that we're sinners. 
We, he knows that, I mean, uh, mankind, just uh, we are who we are. We can go to him. He, he knows our innermost being of who we are. That uh, We're not going to surprise God when we go to you know, confess our sin to him. He's like, really? I didn't know that. He knows. He knows, right? Remember the woman at the well? Walked right up to her, and Jesus is like, you, yeah, you don't have a wife, right? And you, five other uh, five other men, right, that uh, that would have been your husband, right? I'm, I'm messing up the actual words. So this all needs to be said um, because as we move forward, we see that mankind failed. And uh, we're going to get into that more, and, and we're still dealing with those things. But uh, it's important for us to understand God's standard. He set a standard, uh, and we as a race have rebelled against him, and uh, he's faithful uh, to help us um, uh, know how we're supposed to live together, um, that we would be firmly, I, I just this last note, we would be firmly established in him in our marriages with him as our foundation. So uh, America, uh, the church, okay, take, take just America out of the equation, the secular world out of the equation, the church. Christ has to be, if anybody gets an invitation to the wedding, it better be Christ especially in a Christian as Christian wedding. Jesus should be receiving the first, you know, put the stamp on it. And no, just joking. We're not going to do that. But we're inviting, we're asking Christ to be the foundation of a marriage. So anytime we're sharing this with uh, somebody who's just about to get married, newly, whatever it is, Christ being the foundation of our marriage. If, you know, you talk about, remember what Jesus said about foundations built upon this house, built, built upon the sand. As soon as all the storms come, it's going to fall. How great is its fall? Built upon the rock, it can stand, right? Marriages, going to have some rocky times, going to have some hard conversations, arguments, whatever it is. Built upon Christ and two people obeying Christ are going to, should come to the godly uh, point of agreement on whatever it is and then move forward in prayer praying together uh, you know what and in confessing confessing to each other you know what i acted stupid i you know whatever it is but we have been blessed by the lord with the gift of marriage we've been uh, you know god uh, remember god made eve from adam you know, he made Edom, uh, Edom, <laughs> Put, putting both of the names together. He made Adam from the dust of the earth, and then he made Eve from Adam. And uh, so there's 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 a lot here, and I can keep I can keep rambling and talking, but just understanding that uh, God created us, and uh, we'll we'll get into verse three of, uh, and I don't think we have to. There's 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 no surprise. Man failed, and man sinned, right? <laughs> what? I didn't know that. But uh, God, God set the standard that that uh, a husband and a wife uh, should uh, cleave, uh, leave their family, uh, their mother's uh, mother and father, cleave, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and that marriage should be founded in God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, so grateful for uh, your word to guide us. Uh, to correct us, uh, to uh, help us to establish godly lives, godly marriages, godly. Lord, if, if any of us are not married, then then just to live godly lives, to follow you and to be obedient to you. That everybody around us is going to be blessed when we're following you and we're sharing you. We pray, God, that you would uh, just help us to, uh, to walk uh, strong with you. 
to not waver back and forth where, okay, I'm in church this day and uh, things are going to be good and I'm going to tank the next day or, or whatever it is. Lord, give us the strength to not do that, but to walk in your strength, the strength of your spirit, to not go in and obey our flesh, but to walk with you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray that you continue to work in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.